Each summer, we have been working our way through the book of Psalms, and as you work your way through the book of Psalms, if you start in chapter 1 and then do chapter 2 and then chapter 3 all the way through, what you find is that you end up with streaks, right? That, that some of the streaks of Psalms as you read through them are really beautiful, and some of the streaks of Psalms as you read through them are uh, really depressing, because as you read, you see the struggles of the psalmist as he struggles with his enemies, or he struggles with his sin, or he struggles with uh, the difficulties of life. And then other times, you just see these beautiful poems, beautiful uh, descriptions of who God is and what God has done and how faithful He is. And this summer, we have been blessed to have just a streak of really wonderful psalms. Last week, we were talking about um, our, how our, uh, we should speak to ourselves and remind ourselves, in fact, the psalmist says, O oh, my soul, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. And last week, the psalmist was reminding himself, I need to bless the Lord because He reigns over everything. All of creation is His dominion. He's king over all of it. He reigns over everything. And this week, what we're going to see is the psalmist is again reminding himself, I need to bless the Lord, and this time it is because of creation itself. And so would you go with me on a journey as we work our way through this psalm? This is one of those psalms that I'm going to try not to teach too much, right? There are texts in the Bible that are very good for teaching. There are letters, epistles of Paul, the book of Hebrews that just explain things very well. It's like a really well-written essay, and then you just pick it apart and look at it word by word and, and explain each piece and each thought. And then there are other parts of the Scripture that just paint beautiful pictures. And if I take each verse and each word and pick it apart and explain it, it's kind of like somebody taking a picture and trying to explain to you why it's wonderful. And so I'm going to endeavor not to do that this morning, but just highlight how beautiful this psalm is. Because the psalmist's um, agenda here is to highlight the glory and beauty of God. And so we see in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering Yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. This beginning, bless the Lord, O my soul. Sing his praises. Remind yourself of his benefits. Remind yourself of how wonderful God is. Bless the Lord. Sing his praises and make him known. And then he turns his eyes heavenward and he says, Oh Lord, you are my God. You're my God. 
You're not just a God, not even just the God, but my God. O Lord of heaven, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. When you think about the clothes of somebody, something that somebody puts on, it's a part of their identity, right? You see somebody and the way that they are clothed and you go, oh, I can tell something about them. I can see something about what they're expecting to do today. I might be able to identify maybe not the exact role, not their exact occupation, but but depending on the day and what they're wearing, I I think they probably work in this kind of an industry. I kind of think that they live in this type of a place. I think they have this kind of a personality. The way that you are clothed uh, describes for people, it portrays to people, this is who I am. It is a part of your identity. It's not your whole identity. You don't focus just on that, but it is an expression of who you are. Everybody expresses themselves differently in the way that they are clothed, and the way that the psalmist says that God is clothed is in light. You have wrapped yourself, covered yourself with light as if it was a garment. You were walking down the street and you saw somebody clothed in light. What would that say about who they are? We're thinking about God's expression of who He is. Light is the best that He can come up with because this highlights things, right? It shines. It has splendor. It it displays what is true. It makes things known rather than covers things up. There is truth in light. There is purity and splendor and majesty in light. And God is arraigned. He's clothed with light. And he says, and you stretch out the heavens like a tent. Just stretch it out, those stars. When you go out camping and you lay down and you just go, ah, you know what, if it weren't for the mosquitoes, I'd want to just lay out under the stars. And the stars are the tent of God. He just stretches it out. He lays the beams of his chambers on the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. The majesty of God as he says, okay, this is where I'm going to put the foundation of where I'm going to stay. I'm going to ride on the wings of the wind. The clouds are my mode of transportation. He sends his messengers on the wind. His messengers are like a flaming fire. He is magnificent and awesome. And now he begins to move into what the Lord has done, and he says, He has set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. The Lord spoke and everything came into existence 
and he created the world and he said, and this shall be your foundation. This shall be your solid rock on which you are built. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. And at your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that you might not again cover the earth. And so we have now, we're moving into this poetry that explains to us in a poetic way what was happening in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, right? As God created everything and He spoke and it came into existence. And so I imagine Him saying, let there be light, and He separates the light from the darkness. And then I imagine Him saying, and let the uh, land separate from the waters, Let the land separate from the waters. And I always imagined it as just a speaking the land into existence and the waters separated. But the way that it's described here is that he rebuked the waters. There was the whole earth with its foundation at its core and the waters wrapped all the way around it. And the Lord said, get out of the way. So that the land might come forth. And he separated the waters and the mountains came up right out of the waters. And he separated the water from the land and he said, this is where you shall go and you shouldn't go any further than that. This is going to be your boundary. You think about the sheer volume of water on the face of the earth. And how the tides cause the the oceans to rock back and forth. And you go out to the coast and you see where people have placed their houses. And you think, that's a little close, don't you think? You thought you'd put a hotel right there? There's ocean and then sand and then hotel. Why do you feel confident putting your hotel? Why do you feel confident living right there? Well, the ocean only goes this far. It has a boundary. That's where it stops. Why does it do that? Because the Lord said, that's where you will stop. And the ocean says, but I make really big waves. And the Lord says, yes, and you will stop right here. He has the whole thing, and he has designed it, and he rebuked the waters so that they made space. And he called the mountains into existence, and they stood up. And at the sound of his thunder, the waters took flight, and the mountains rose, and the valleys sank down to the places that God had appointed for them. I would like you here, and I would like you there, and I would like you over here, and I would like you to look like this. And this is the kind of picture that we observe and we marvel at, right? This is the 4K UHD OLED 
QLED, I don't know, all the things. That you're watching the nature shows and they're showing you with this drone footage of all of the beauty that is in the earth. And you marvel at it and go, look at that. Look at that mountain. Look at those oceans. Look at how beautiful this is. And he did all of that. You make, verse 10, you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You've ever been out for a walk and just stopped somewhere where the river is running and you just observe what's going on around you? Just sit and listen to the running water and listen to the birds in the trees and see everything that is growing there and you think, how are you growing here? It's because of this water that's here. It's because the Lord said, I want for there to be rivers to flow. And I don't often think about water that much. We live in a place where there is a lot of water. There's a lot of water here. It rains a lot. It's August. It rained this morning. There are rivers and creeks and ponds all over the place here. There is a lot of water. And so I don't think about it. Because if I'm thinking about what does like my grass need to grow? Well, my grass needs some soil that's pretty good soil that has good nutrients in it. And my grass needs... Um, to have the right density of the soil so that it doesn't hold too much water and get soggy, but also it holds some water and it doesn't just all run through. And my grass needs the right amount of sun so that it will grow. It needs that warmth and sunlight. It needs to stay within a certain temperature range. And my grass needs the right amount of water to come at the right time. And if I don't feel like there's enough water coming on my grass, I turn on the sprinklers. And most of the time that I think about getting a drink or I think about needing water, I think about turning on the tap so that there's enough water for what I need. And I don't think about where that water comes from. I don't think about the fact that the reason that I can in Wilsonville just turn the tap and there is water there or turn on my sprinklers and there is water there at any time is because we have the Willamette River right over there. And so we draw the water that we require and even just want to use. We draw it out of the Willamette River and we use the water that we need. But why is there water there? Why, when God separated the waters from the lands, is there still water on the land? 
It's because the rains come, and the rains come, and they, they fill the ponds and things, and then the water runs down. And just in case when it's really hot during the summertime, if there wasn't going to continue to be water in the summertime, then you would need some rivers to continue to run. So he puts some snow up there on the top of the mountain, packs it up there. So that in the summertime, when there's not as much rain to fill up the creeks and the rivers and the ponds and the lakes, the snow begins to melt and still feeds all of those things so that everything gets the water that it needs all year long. And so those blades of grass that don't exist in my yard, but still need all of those same things, receive the sunlight that they need in the right proportions. The ground is prepared the way that it needs to be prepared. And the water comes either from the rivers and the creeks that come by or from the rains that come by so that every little blade of grass gets exactly what it needs so that it grows. And the psalmist here says, you make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. And then, this is not the example I would use. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The wild donkeys? That's what you decided to pick? Everything. Everything is able to quench its thirst because the Lord provides everything that they need. All of the essentials that they need. The grass is growing because the sun is there and the water is there that it needs. And all of the animals are able to get, quench their thirst from the rivers that come by. And they're able to eat the grass as it grows. And God takes care of each and every piece as that happens. So that when I look at what each little piece of grass requires and then think about how much grass there is on the surface of the earth. Because do you know how much grass things eat? One cow it's two and a half to three percent of its body weight every day. So if you have a thousand pound cow, it's eating 25 or 30 pounds of grass every single day. It requires an acre to two acres of grass growing to feed one cow. And God said, whatever. I've got all the cows on a thousand hillsides. I'll put grass everywhere. I'll give them all enough water. How awesome is our God? That even when you're out and you're just sitting by the water of the river that's running by and you're listening to it and you're seeing the trees and you're hearing the birds sing and you're thinking about, hey, there's a donkey that's drinking from the water. That's really amazing that the donkey gets its thirst quenched from this creek that's coming through. And when we meditate on the creation that God has made and we think about the blades of grass and how God cares for them, I think that's really amazing. And then I move up to the cows and go, that's amazing too. And even if I think to myself, well, you know what? Really, the farmer is just irrigating out of the river so that all of his crops get what they need and so that the cows get what they need. And I just think, but where did the water from the river come from? 
And in the places where there aren't rivers, there's just these springs because God said, you know what would be funny? Is if I just made the water come up out of the ground and they didn't know where it came from. And so in places where there's not obvious reasons, the water just bubbles up out of the ground. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst, and beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. We think we're so clever in the way that we can bring food from the earth. And God said, yeah, that's because I did that for you. You think you're so clever? Watch if I withhold the rain. Watch if I give you too much rain. Now how clever are you? And yet he gives us this thing that we can do, that we can be productive and helping. Like when you have a kid that's alongside you and you're having them help you with things. And they're learning how to do these great things. And you're allowing them to help and God is like, oh, I know, you could help prepare your own food. You could help prepare your own food. I'll, I'll tell you what, you, you, make the, you make the food come out of the earth. I'll show you how. And he gives them everything that they need and he helps them do it. And he makes the conditions just right so that they can do it, so that they can eat that food and go, look at what we have done. And God goes, yep, you're big stuff. But he gives us these things that we can do so that we get to participate in his creation. We get to cultivate it. We get to make things pr productive. And while everything rejoices and enjoys the fruit of God's work, he allows us to, at the same time we're enjoying the fruit of his work, enjoy the fruit of our own labors as we work in harmony with the things that He has created. And we look and see at how He supplies for the needs of the birds and the beasts. And then He supplies for us too. But if you think that He merely takes care of the essentials, the psalmist continues to go on from there. He says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. Verse 15, and wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. God didn't just say, you know, you could get by on some grass and water. He made this beautiful creation with everything in it. And he didn't just say, you know, I think you could probably get away with just some grass. Why don't you just eat the grass like the cows? 
and drink some water. You could survive on that. Instead, what he does is he says, I'm going to make this fruitful, not merely for your survival and sustenance, but also for your delight, for your enjoyment, that you might live life and that you might live life for, to the full. And so he says, and so I have given you this wine to gladden the hearts of man that you can celebrate, right? Celebrate and rejoice in the good things that God has provided and have this oil to make your face shine. We don't have to make our faces shine. Our faces don't have to shine. They don't have to look that attractive. But he says, but I'm going to give you this so that your face can shine, so that you can delight in what I have done. And bread to strengthen the man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He just keeps going, right? He's had us be in the valley where we're seeing the water that's watering the fields and the, the animals that come and drink out of it. And then he brings us up higher and he says, oh, and not only that, but not only is there enough water down in the valleys for the grass, but also God put enough water up in the mountains for the trees. When he separated the land from the sea and he said, get out of the way, water, so that the land can rise. And the mountains went huge. And so you have these high, high points that are separated from the low, low waters. And you go, how's he going to get grass up there? And the Lord says, grass? Watch this. Boom. Trees. Big trees on the sides of the mountain that God says, I've got enough water for trees so that large birds can make their homes in the large trees up in the mountains. So that up in the mountains you can have the mountain goats and the rock badgers that are scrambling around up there. And they make their home up there because God has made it habitable for them. Because he has provided from the top to the bottom. From the lowest creature to the biggest creature. And you look and you observe and you watch and you just marvel at how great our God is. Who thought of all of these things and created the, the earth in such a complex and beautiful way. And you marvel at what he can do. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make the darkness, and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work, 
to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures, innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. He says, you you make the seasons, the, the sun and the moon come around at the right times and they mark the seasons. And in fact, as, as the earth rotates and, and the, the sun comes out and it gives us the daytime, then toward the evening, the sun sets and it becomes dark. And even in the darkness, in that dangerous time, God, you prevail over that. You are sovereign over all of that. You have created this rhythm of even the day to day. So that as the sun goes down and the darkness comes out and those things that we might be afraid of come out to play, the young lion roars and searches for the prey because, Lord, you feed them too. And at the same time, as the sun begins to rise again, then the lions go back to their dens and the people come out and go to their work. What if he didn't do it that way? What if the lions and the people came out at the same time? What if they were both going out to do their work at the same time? That would be scary. But these things that we might be scared of, these parts, aspects, and parts of creation that that we might say... I don't know about that. Even those things God has created and is ruler over them and provides for them too. Those beasts of the forest that creep around at night steal away and lie down in their dens when the sun comes back out. Oh God, he says in verse 24, Oh Lord, How manifold are your works? How many are the things that you have done? For in your wisdom you created them all. The earth, the whole earth is full of your creatures. Here's the sea. Verse 25, I I really like this. Here's the sea. It's great and wide and it teems with creatures innumerable. We know about a lot of the creatures on the earth and then we look at the sea and go, and also that stuff. Because you poke your head under the water and go, wow, look at all those fish and crabs and eels and all kinds of things. I wonder what's down in that deep, dark part. We'll just call that stuff. There's all that stuff down there. So that every time they send down some kind of submersible or something and they bring out the lights to shine around, they're finding new stuff all the time. There's so much stuff down there, we have no idea what's all down there. And we have no idea, and we've got the submersibles that are going down with remotes and lights to shine and see what's down there. And at this time, they really had no idea what's down there. It's the sea. 
And so they would just talk about Leviathan, the huge sea creatures that are out there. The huge sea creatures. And what, they, what the psalmist says here is, here's the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great, and there go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. The great fear was that your ship would go out there and some great sea creature, some kind of Leviathan, might destroy the ship. There's big, scary things in the big, deep, dark sea. But the Lord is not bothered by those things. He made them to play in the deep, dark sea. He plays with them. He enjoys them. He goes, look at that. Isn't that fun? And now when people go out in ships and they see the whales jumping like this, they go, wow, look at that. Isn't that fun? Unless it gets too close and then it's not fun anymore. But for God, it's always fun. There's nothing scary about it. There's nothing dangerous. There's nothing unknown. God knows all of it. He has created all of it. He created it for His glory, and it goes higher than we can understand and deeper than we can imagine. And all of it reflects His wisdom. They all, verse 27 says, these all look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up when you open your hand. They are filled with good things. And when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Everything depends on the Lord. He takes the Leviathan and he says, here you go, have this. And it eats out of his hand. And it lives for as long as he says it will live and it dies when he says it's time for it to die. And so it is with every creature on the face of the earth. All of us, we live for as long as He gives us His breath, and then when He takes it away, we return to the dust. Because He is God, and this is His creation, and He marvels at all that He has done, and He says, isn't this good? And we marvel at it and say, isn't God good? When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. He gets all the way to here. He goes, God, you you give them breath, and when you take the breath away, they go return to the dust, and then you give breath over here, and there's life over here. And so we have life springing up and life that is dying. And God, you are sovereign and creator of all of it. You have made all of this. How awesome is our God. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. Lord, you at the beginning created all of this and said, this is 
good. This is very good. You delighted in your creation when you created it. May you always delight in your creation. May you always look at it and say, this is good. This is very good. May my meditation be pleasing to him. Oh, sorry, missed a verse. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing my praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. The psalmist looks around and he writes all of this down, and after meditating on it, just thinking about it, pondering it, says, I'm just going to sing day after day because Lord you are so great may my meditations Lord as I scribble down these pathetic little thoughts my thoughts about what you have created and I recognize the greatness of your creation and I take a few verses to scribble these things down and express them as best as I can in my pathetic way of communicating May these small thoughts be pleasing to you, O Lord. And let the sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. And I get to this verse and I go, what? We've been reading about the greatness of the earth and all of the creation that God has made and how beautiful it is and how it works together that even the scary stuff is under His control and He takes care of it and delights in it. And then it's like, and wipe out the sinners, Lord. But if you have been staring at a magnificent painting and somebody took their sharpie and drew on it, you'd be annoyed. And when you're looking at your 4K UHD OLED TV, and there are pixels out, that's so annoying. Look at how beautiful this picture is. Look at how awesome this footage is. They filmed this so well, and I can see it's amazing. But why are those pixels not working? It's so distracting from how gorgeous this is. You have, what, 4,000 pixels? And 40 of them don't work, and that's the part that I'm fixated on. I don't like that. And so he says, I have created all of this. Lord, you have created all of this. And it is magnificent, and it is beautiful. And then there are these sinners who are doing the wicked things, and that doesn't fit here. That should not be within this creation. Lord, would you get rid of that part? Would you erase the sharpie from the masterpiece? Would you fix the broken pixels so that the whole thing looks good again? So that the whole thing looks beautiful again? Would you remove the ickiness, the wickedness, the sin? Get rid of that. And then it'll be perfect. Then it'll be perfect. Let the sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be 
no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And what we celebrate today is that these things are still true and that God has made a way for the things that we have in our lives that when we look at the beauty that surrounds us and that is in our lives and we say, this is wonderful, except for the sin part here, the wickedness part here, God, could you get rid of that? And he said, oh, yeah. Yeah. You see, I see you. I know you. I created you. I provided for your sustenance and I prov provided for your bounty so that you might delight and rejoice. And I will not leave you with that bit of sin in you. I will not leave you with that wickedness in you. I have provided a way for that to be removed also so that you may merely delight in me. And the way that he has provided for that to happen is through Jesus.